a smashing good time. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's DART mission is set to launch tonight from Vandenberg in California on a 10-month mission that ends when it smashes into a tiny rock in space. The spacecraft is part of NASA's planetary defense plan, figuring out ways to save our own Earth should an asteroid threaten to hit us. And while there's no immediate threat to us here on our planet, what scientists find out about how this impact affects the orbits of this asteroid can help plan for future missions to possibly nudge asteroids out of a potentially deadly path. We'll speak with Nancy Chabot, a planetary scientist and NASA coordination lead for DART, about this fast-flying mission to smash into an asteroid. Then, Star Trek actor Nichelle Nichols took on an ambitious project to recruit more diverse candidates for NASA programs at the start of the space shuttle program in the 1970s. She recruited more than 8,000 African-American, Asian, and Latino women and men for NASA in the 70s and 80s, turning NASA into one of the most diverse agencies in the U.S. federal government. The documentary Woman in Motion looks at the efforts and motivation of Nichols, who asked the next generation of space explorers, where are my people? We'll revisit a conversation from earlier this year with director Todd Thompson about the film. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's space station. Smashing an asteroid out of orbit. That's the plan for NASA's DART mission. While it sounds super cool, it's an incredibly important experiment aimed at planning future asteroid redirect missions to help save our planet. To talk about DART's mission and what planetary scientists hope to learn to help save this planet, we're joined by Nancy Chabot. She's a planetary scientist and NASA coordination lead for DART, and she talks to us about this fast-flying mission to smash into an asteroid. Nancy, thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. So, so give us the give us the elevator pitch here. What is what is Dart's uh, mission? What's the goal of this? Well, Dart's mission is to demonstrate a capability to move an asteroid in space by purposely crashing a spacecraft into it. Uh, so, it's important to state straight up front that Dart's target asteroid is not a threat to Earth, is not a danger to the Earth. Um, but it's important that we take this first test to demonstrate a technology to protect the Earth in the future if we needed to. And that's what DART is all about. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about the spacecraft itself. Uh, what, what does it look like? Uh, how, how big is this thing? Yeah, the DART spacecraft is sort of the main body is a, a cube. Uh, maybe the size of like a small golf cart you can think of it sort of as. And uh, and then it's got really long solar arrays that stick out 18 meters from side to side, um, from tip to tip, all said. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, kind of looks like a, a little box with these giant solar arrays sticking out. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me a bit about the target, which you, you mentioned you're going to knock this asteroid out. I'm assuming you've already identified which one it is because it's not a threat. Uh, tell us a bit about, about the asteroid itself. Yeah, well, this is really where the name of the mission comes in as well, the you know, double asteroid redirection test. This is a double asteroid system. There are two asteroids here. There's uh, Didymos, which is the larger one. It's 780 meters in diameter. And there's the smaller one, Dimorphos, um, which uh, is 160 meters in diameter, sort of the size of Great Pyramid or, uh, you know, a little bit less than two football fields. So it's sort of like arena size. Um, and the DART spacecraft is going to come in really fast, 15,000 miles per hour. And it's going to slam into Dimorphos, the smaller of those two. And it's going to change 
how Dimorphos goes around Didymos. So it's demonstrating an asteroid deflection within this system of asteroids. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really smart and safe way to do this first test. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, this has never been done before, right? Oh, no, this has never been done before. I mean, that's really uh, one of the things that's so exciting about DART is that it's a pioneering mission for planetary defense, taking this first step towards uh, developing a capability that could potentially protect our planet in the future. Mm -hmm. So so scientists like yourself are interested in seeing how this orbit changes um, around its, its, its host, um, but you're slamming the spacecraft into it. <laughs> How are you actually going to see how this orbit changes? Yeah, and that's again where this double asteroid system comes in, making this such a clever way to do this first test, because you're absolutely right. The DART spacecraft will be totally destroyed <laughs> during this whole process. Um, and we're carrying a CubeSat contributed by Italy, Lichia Cube, and um, it's going to take some spectacular images of the collision, but then it's going to be sped on its way and long gone as well. So how will we know? And that's what we're going to actually use telescopes here on the Earth in order to make that crucial measurement of how much we've deflected it. These telescopes are the same ones, some of them, that discovered that this was a double asteroid system in the first place. So they've been looking at this asteroid system for decades. They have a lot of previous data. And then after DART's collision, they'll get the post data. And that's really going to be crucial to figure out how much we deflected the asteroid. This allows the DART spacecraft to be focused on one thing hitting this small object in space really fast, and then using these assets that already exist here on the Earth to make this measurement. So um, it, that really is why this is a, you know, a great way to take this first step for planetary defense. Mm -hmm. Smashing in the name of science. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be a smashing good time. So yeah. <laughs> so so how, how long is this, this whole um, mission going to take? We, we launched this week. Um, when, will, when will the smashing happen? <laughs> uh, it's going to cruise for about 10 months in order to get there. So the end of September of 2022, um, in the grand scheme of space missions, sort of things I work on, that's pretty soon, yeah. actually, uh, you know, a lot of times we're going far out in the solar system or it takes a long time to get there. Um, you know, this is just 10 months. So next September, um, is when a darts collision will happen. It's, it's actually really challenging if you think about it to hit a tiny little yeah. object, uh, in space really fast. Um, and we actually know very little about this moon and, uh, the spacecraft, won't even using its camera on board won't even be able to detect the moon from the main asteroid until the last hour of the mission and so That's it's going to have awesome. to autonomously <laughs> get itself to hit that small thing that we've never seen before. Um, wow. And that's where SmartNav comes in, one of the um, APL developed capabilities in order to target onto that small object. Mm -hmm. Is that SmartNav the same as what was used for the Mars rover? Is, am I... It's not, actually. It's a little different. I mean, so for Mars, you... Uh, you know, we've been to Mars before, we have mm -hmm. some information about it, and that really sort of helps guide you in what you're doing. Um, here for the asteroid, what it, it's doing is it's a continually taking images with the camera. It's a, it's a camera that's developed similar to the one that uh, APL built to take uh, pictures of Pluto for the New Horizons mission. Oh. So it takes these images every second and it streams them back to Earth as well. So we'll be getting these images once a second during this these final hours. And uh, it processes them. And it, it's like, here's the large asteroid. Here's the large asteroid. And then an hour ahead of time, it can start to they see the small one. It's like, there's the small one. Go over there. And it fires the thrusters, gets a new image. 
Um, but the solar arrays are really big, right? And mm -hmm. so it kind of like lumbers there. It's not, a, you know, it's not like a sports car <laughs> sort of in its maneuvering. So it's, it's constantly doing these course corrections to ensure. So it's sort of, um, but even then the Dimorphos is just going to be a few pixels in those images until really the last uh, few minutes of the mission. And so um, mm -hmm. it's more like centroiding onto that and making sure you've got the target in sight the whole time and you're keeping the camera focused that way too because we want to see where we hit. Yeah, oh, that's super fascinating. So so I'm wondering, will, will you then get some data on 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 the main object that you can send back there so that you can learn more about the you know geology, the shape of it, the, the, the physics of it? Is there kind of a secondary mission to, to DART as well? Well, DART really is focused on planetary defense. Um, and so when you're coming in, both the asteroids will definitely be in the frame of view of the camera because you're so far away. Um, you know, these things right. are not taking up very much pixels. So you'll be able to see both asteroids um, until the last few minutes of the mission. And those images, again, will be streaming back to Earth one per second uh, in real time because, you know, you got to get that data down before the smashing good time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the... Uh, uh, but really, we're we're very focused here. I mean, um, you know, the data comes in. It, it's you know really pretty limited the images that you're going to get um, because you're just moving so fast. And so gotcha. we're really focused on where we hit. But that actually the same sort of information that you would get to understand the geology and the geophysics is is really important for planetary defense. Um, did you hit a boulder? Did you hit a smooth area? What's the angle of impacts? You know, mm. and how is that relating to the momentum transfer? Um, so the images uh, are going to be really important for or understanding the effects of DART's impact. You mentioned that, that this is part of planetary defense. Um, tell me a little bit about how, how this fits into the big picture of NASA's planetary defense plans and, and where we go from here. Yeah, DART is definitely just one part of NASA's larger planetary defense plans. It's not all about smashing spacecrafts into asteroids by any means. If you don't know where the asteroids are, that doesn't really matter very much. Mm -hmm. And so number one is finding all the asteroids, keeping track of them, constantly assessing if there is a threat to Earth, characterizing them, understanding what they're made of so you know what you're dealing with, um, and international cooperation because it's an international issue. And then if you do identify one in the future that is a danger to the Earth, you want to be able to do something about it and you want to have developed some capability to deal with that before you need it. So that's where DART comes in is one part of this much larger strategy. But knowing what you're dealing with, understanding where all the asteroids are and finding them and tracking them is really important. And things that are a few hundreds of meters in size, like the target asteroid that DART is uh, colliding with, we've only found less than half of that population currently. So mm -hmm. uh, finding all the asteroids is still a number one priority for planetary defense. Mm -hmm. So finding is, is the number one priority, but but learning how to defend against these is, is probably pretty important. And, and Nancy, I'm going to preface this with all I know about planetary defense is what I've seen in the movies. So uh, take this question with a grain of salt, but why aren't you blowing up this, this, this moon asteroid and, and instead knocking it out of orbit? Well, I actually love all of these movies and everything oh, good, like that. Good. I think it's uh, it's important for science fiction to let you dream about, you know, what might you do in the future? And that leads to, you know, missions that are going out there and, and taking these first steps and, and doing things like this. But if you think about it, um, 
you know, disrupting an object, blowing it up, is going to create a lot of pieces, right? And then you have like a lot of pieces to deal with, where what we're doing actually is just a small nudge. And so this asteroid, um, this main body of the spacecraft is about 100 times smaller than the asteroid that it's colliding with. So it's coming really fast, but it's way smaller. And so it really is just a small nudge. We're going to change how it goes around the larger asteroid by about 1% in its orbital period. And this is the sort of thing that you want to do, just sort of like a small nudge, a small shove, which is a small change, but you want to do this decades in advance. Mm -hmm. And so this small change adds up to a bigger change with time. And then the Earth and the asteroid wouldn't be on a collision course in the future and a disaster averted um, without having to make your problem bigger than it needs to be. You've still just got your one asteroid that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, so while exploding would be way cooler to look at, it would be far less effective and possibly even more dangerous. <laughs> I guess I would argue that, you know, giving an asteroid a small nudge and like saving Earth is also pretty cool. I so. think it is too. <laughs> so, so finally, Nancy, you've been, you've been working on, on this mission for, for quite some time. You're getting ready to launch it and you're going to smash it and it'll be destroyed. I mean, how, how, are, you, how are you feeling leading into this mission where you're, you have to say goodbye to the spacecraft? <laughs> well, I mean, I think we all know that this is this is the this is what it was built for. This is its purpose, and um, you know, we're we're wishing it luck. It's still got a a journey in front of it, and it's got this uh, you know final month where it first detects it's the asteroid system. Uh, it's an exciting day, and I think we're all uh, crossing our fingers for good weather and hoping everything goes uh, goes tonight. That was Nancy Chabot, planetary scientist and NASA coordination lead for DART, about this fast-flying mission to smash into an asteroid. Still to come, a conversation about a Star Trek star's effort to recruit a more diverse space agency. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. Star Trek actor Nichelle Nichols took on an ambitious project to recruit more diverse candidates for NASA programs at the start of the space shuttle program in 1970. She recruited more than 8,000 African-American, Asian, and Latino women and men for NASA in the 70s and 80s, turning NASA into one of the most diverse agencies in the United States federal government. The documentary Woman in Emotion looks at the efforts and motivations of Nichols, who asked the next generation of space explorers, where are my people? We revisit a conversation from April with director Todd Thompson about the film. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me today. In the course of, of interviewing Michelle and, and her colleagues and other folks involved in this push um, that she made, what was the draw for Michelle to take on this I mean, at the time, this Herculean task to try to change the face of NASA, why did she want to do it? Um, well, you know, I, I think a lot of it stemmed from her experience on the show. Um, you know, at, at this point, the Star Trek original series had ended. It was it wrapped up its third season and got canceled, as you know. Um, but during that time, um, you know, not only did she plan to quit the show after season one, but thanks to, you know, a, a chance run in with Dr. Martin Luther King was convinced to stay on the show and stay through the, the, the final two seasons. And I think I think through that experience, 
and through through Dr. King's insights, to be very honest, um, I think she realized and recognized the impact that her role had on on Americans, on, on women, on on people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think you know when she was in the thick of it, she didn't realize that, but it took somebody like Dr. King to let her know, you know, the actual impact that she had, that she was having on on America, especially at that time during during the civil rights struggle and the mu- and the movement. Um, so when the show ended and, you know, the fans demanded more, these sci-fi conventions started popping up, these Star Trek conventions, if you will. And uh, NASA started having a presence at, at these at these annual events. And um, so at one point, Nichelle found herself, you know, on a talking, on a speaking panel with um, Jessica Von Putkammer, who was NASA's uh, representative there at the time, and was just blown away by his presentation about the current space program, where they had been, where they were planning to go. And, you know, Nichelle's just a very forward thinker. And I think she definitely, quite honestly, saw space as the true final frontier. And, but then she quickly realized, you know, I don't see anybody of color. I don't see any women in this plan. Um, NASA was still presenting itself very much as a, as an all boys club, if you will. And so that's when she, raised her hand and asked a very, very simple but profound question, you know, where are my people? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the space shuttle program is considered to be this transformative moment in space history that it did open up avenues to not just, you know, pilots to go to space, but scientists and medical professionals. Um, but it very much relied on the work of Nichelle to make that happen. Right. I mean, kind of give me the gravity of how impactful her work was in transforming the space shuttle program and, and, and the space program in general. Well, I mean, NASA was coming off of the Apollo program and in that program, their requirements were astronauts that were test pilots. So I, uh, you know, primarily, white males coming out of the Air Force that qualified as astronauts. And so that's what they needed for the Apollo program. When they wrapped that up and started developing the space shuttle program, they knew immediately they needed a different class of astronaut. They needed biologists, they needed scientists, physicists, educators, um, philosophers in a lot of ways. And, and it was just a different class of astronaut. And they quickly realized they're extremely short staffed as far as, you know, the, the, the standard NASA classes, you know, around 35, 40 astronauts per class. And they, they, they had a fraction of that. And, and, and more importantly, they had very few applicants coming in and definitely a, a minor, 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 minor submission of, of, of people of minority color, you know, men and women of, of African-American and Asian and Latino descent. And so again, when, when that perfect storm happened at the sci-fi conventions where Nichelle, where NASA and Star Trek met, and Michelle got involved, um, they quickly saw an opportunity for her to help campaign and get people excited about space again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, she was so passionate about it herself, they kind of turned the tide on her and said, well, well, how about, how about you? How about you be the one to, to get everyone interested and on board with this thing? And the biggest problem she faced is that I don't think people really believed her. They didn't believe that NASA really wanted them. Because when you look back at the history of NASA, and, and what the recruitment process looked like and what those final astronaut classes looked like for the Apollo program, you know, it was primarily all 
white males. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, over over years and years and years of that, you know, you become accustomed to believing what you see very much, you know, in the same regards, which is why Dr. King, you know, enforced and emphasized to her, you know, don't quit the show, stay on the show, because what people were seeing on TV every week was a very diverse Star Trek crew on the bridge. Um, you know, the captain, Anglo-Saxon, you had you had your Russian um, character with Chekhov, you had your, your Asian-American with... Um, with George Takei's character Sulu, and then of course Michelle at the bridge. Not to mention Spock, who is an alien. So all, mm-hmm. all these different cultures and and, and characters are, are working together um, cohesively on a bridge and and exploring space together. And so you know people get accustomed to seeing that, and and so that's why NASA felt so strongly that Michelle was the right person to represent this because so many people had embraced and enjoyed and cherished the Star Trek. A franchise, you know, what, what, what Star Trek had created for them, the reality Star Trek created for them, mm-hmm. that they felt that she was a sure thing for, um, for recruiting with an astronaut. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like, in hindsight, it seems like the perfect fit, right? I mean, Star Trek was pushing boundaries um, and yeah. showing that diversity on television. So if you want to get diversity in, in an agency, um, why not piggyback off of that success? Um, but was there any pushback? I mean, did, did Nichelle and, and, and this program face any pushback at NASA in the bureaucracy? I mean, did people not want this to happen? Well, you know, as far as in, in, inside NASA itself, um, when Nichelle got there, you know, she insisted on doing astronaut training and, and really engrossing herself in the, in the process so that when she went on the road and started talking to recruits, she knew exactly what she would be talking about and what she was, you know, asking people to sign up for. And when she got to NASA, I, I think she was pleasantly surprised that, you know, behind the scenes, behind closed doors, she saw quite a bit of diversity, not just with race, but with, you know, different uh, gender, you know, male and female, if you will. And um, remember, you know, the the whole hidden figure story with Katherine Johnson, you know, took place, you know, pre-Apollo. And so they, th- those people were all there working. Um, and she, she was like amazed. She said, you know, why don't, why don't your people know about this? And NASA just, you know, they recognized that they had a shortcoming as far as uh, a PR shortcoming, if you will, a shortfall as far as being community successfully communicating that they were indeed actually a diverse organization just not on the for just not on the forefront though you know not 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 with what the public was seeing you know as far as the astronaut class behind the scenes they were they were really in great shape so she helped make that transition but as far as you know going on the road and campaigning she did reach a lot of resistance number one because again people didn't necessarily believe her they didn't really believe nasa was looking for them because of what they had been seeing after all over all these years Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, there was still, you know, especially in some of the colleges in the South, she would tell us, you know, she, she met quite a bit of resistance and, you know, just, uh, just plain, when you look back, it's just plain ignorance. I mean, mm-hmm. people's insecurities and just people being uncomfortable with changing the norm and, and it's just things that are, feel ridiculous today. But, um, but they were really serious, uh, very hardcore issues back then. And she faced that and, 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 you know, one thing about Michelle is she just has a way of keeping her cool and she is just so engaging and convincing and, 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 and embracing when you meet her, you know, I, I think her personality just shines through at the end of the day. And no matter what sort of resistance she met, no matter um, what, what sort of opposition, you know, might've been out there, I think at the end of the day, you know, Michelle Nichols is a human being prevailed and her personality shined through and and um she was successful very successful mm-hmm. in, in a very short period of time i mean the documentary focuses on her work and and you interview quite a few people um 
about the impact of, of her work from Star Trek actors and, and other civil rights um, activists. Um, what's their, what's their definition of, of her success in, in this effort? What do other people think her impact is on changing the face of NASA? Well, I, I think, I think the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, she was, she was on the road for a very short period of time and, 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 and got a total of 8,000 applicants um, a good number of them, you know, being from a diverse background of, of candidates. So NASA was so impressed by her, her efforts and her results, they actually increased the, uh, the, the original astronaut class size um, quite a bit. So, um, so, so I think that's a testament to her success. But I, I, th- I think, um, you know, to answer your question, I think people really recognize that if it wasn't for her efforts, if it wasn't for those four months she hit the road, and help change the face of space, we would be, you know, the, the, the International Space Station and our plans to go back to the moon and, and our exploration of Mars would look very different. And um, it just, I, I, th- I think the biggest thing that, you know, really surprised me and blew me away about the story was the fact that you take a science fiction concept like Star Trek, a man like Gene Roddenberry, who had, you know, the creative oomph, if you will, to understand that if we take these ideals that we're striving for in the 60s in a segregated very uh very um civil rights charged 60s and set them set set these issues set these topics you know 300 years in the future we could get somewhere with that and you know the fact that Michelle leveraged that success and that popularity from that show and turn science fiction into science fact is just, it really just blew me away. I mean, it it was just such a, a cool, unique story that I just knew we had to capture and tell so that the world, the world knew what she did. The world understands what she did. And we, and we, and and they learn from that, you Mm -hmm. know, looking back, they, they learn from that history so that um, we never go there again. You know, we're always looking forward. We're always embracing diversity and we're always recognizing that, you know, it takes, an incredible mix of talent from all sorts of different backgrounds to really achieve whatever it is we set our minds to. Mm -hmm. Finally, Todd, um, looking forward, NASA's new program to return humans to the moon, the Artemis program, uses language like putting the next woman and first person of color on the moon. Um, What do you think Nichelle makes of, of this? Are we moving in the right direction and moving fast enough? Um, definitely we're moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, whether it's fast enough, I mean, who's to say that? I mean, everything's on God's time, but, um, you know, I, I just hope that we get to a place where we don't have to call those things out anymore. You know, we're just, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters exploring space, you know, developing the moon, exploring Mars and developing Mars and beyond. And we're just working side by side, hand in hand. You know, we don't have to call out that, we had three African-Americans on board or two women on board. I mean, that, that's all great. But at the end of the day, if we can get to a place where that's just the norm and it just becomes something that we're extremely accustomed to and comfortable with and, and embrace as the norm, I, I think that's when we know we've really changed and, and we've you know, realized the Star Trek universe that Gene Roddenberry envisioned for us. That was Woman in Motion director Todd Thompson. Our interview first aired on April 20th. 
Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you missed any part of our conversation, listen back online, or be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. You can do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just wherever you get your podcasts, or you can visit WMFE.org slash yet? Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis, and the show's intern is Maria Brasino. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners, and until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>